0: FM, every time, BBC Radio 2.
1: Hello, this is Johnny Walker and welcome along to a special extended concert program here on Radio 2 It's been exactly a year today since Paul McCartney's wife Linda lost her battle against cancer and for some time her friends had been wondering how they could best pay tribute and celebrate the life of a remarkable woman her achievements were many, a highly respected photographer, a campaigner for animal rights, and a vegetarian lifestyle. But she was also a wonderfully supportive wife and mother to her husband Paul and her children Mary, Stella, James and Heather. Thanks to the hard work of Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders, from writer Carla Lane, and noted video director and producer Kevin Godley of 10CC fame, a special concert at the Royal Abbott Hall took place last weekend. Hosted by Eddie Izzard, the show featured the pretenders, Neil Finn, Sinead O'Connor, Heather Small from M People, Tom Jones, George Michael, and Paul McCartney himself. So, for the next 90 minutes, take your seat, along with 4,000 others, at the Royal Albert Hall, as Eddie Izzard starts off a very special evening. Albert Hall makes a noise!
2: Welcome this week's When there Was Fab. I'm Ed Chin.
3: And I'm John Stone.
2: Well, let's see. we got a couple of things we want to pick up on. First off, as we told you all last week, Julian has come out with, well, not just two songs, but three. Uh, I guess, happy 59th to Julian. Uh, just last week, he had his 59th birthday.
3: Right. Gosh. Julian then 59. I, I now have to do calculations. How am I now? How old am I? <laughs>
2: The first track we've gotten off of this new record, let's go from worst to best, shall we say, or at least as I see them worst to best. Okay. Let's start with... Freedom. Not Paul McCartney's and not the singing Rebels from Water.
3: Right. Or Richie Haven's or any number of people who've written freedom songs. That's your worst one, you think? That,
2: that's my worst one. I mean, I will not listen to it about three or four times. I... <sighs> I really, really disliked it the first time, but now it's kind of, eh. Okay, I can listen to it, but it's still not good.
3: <laughs> well, you know, my first impression was he likes reverb. This is true. It's a wash in reverb. But, you know, his dad liked reverb on his vocals as well. But the whole thing seems more ethereal.
2: It's, it's too slow and it's too long.
3: <laughs> well, that's that whole thing with writing music. You know, if you're writing music, you you write it exactly as long as you think it should go. It is slow. It borders on being a dirge, I think. It's not meant for radio play. Some of the sounds in it, it's more like ambient music.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. It does get more interesting the more you listen to it, but I just don't know that I'm going to want to listen to this again until, well, maybe when the album comes out in September.
3: Right. Well, I I don't dislike it. I, I like that kind of sound but there's nothing about the track that stands out or excites me
2: maybe it's better than paul's freedom but it's not as good as the singing (laughs) rebels freedom (laughs) yeah so the flip side i don't know which is supposed to be the a side and the b side not that there really is such a thing anymore
3: right an old concept what was that called every little moment
2: yeah it's a bit better it manages to get catchy after a couple of times
3: yeah there's a kind of a groove in it what it reminds me of is a band from the 80s called Bourgeois Tag. It's kind of got that sound to it. It would fit on that album well.
2: I would go for more kind of a Depeche Mode almost kind of sound. A little bit poppier. I mean, Julian tends to go for the poppy whenever he possibly can.
3: Yeah, and there's the vestige of a machine in there. It's not organic. Some program stuff, I think.
2: It feels to me almost like a Bowie outtake with Lennon outtake lyrics. John Lennon, that
3: is. (laughs) But I like it okay. (laughs) Doesn't sound like I did, but I did. It was good.
2: I don't love it, but this has actually grown on me a decent amount. And this one I may actually listen to. I may put it in my shuffle on my iPod for whenever it comes up, but it doesn't actively make me feel bad (laughs) freedom you know halfway through that it's like okay i just have to hit skip now (laughs) yeah this one i can make it through although he does repeat the chorus how many times five six times
3: didn't count but a bunch i hope we don't come back in like four weeks and go this is the best stuff we have heard in a while. I don't see that happening. You don't think so? Okay.
2: And then there's the surprise. I guess it's for some charity?
3: In S- support of the Ukraine. People of the Ukraine. Uh-huh.
2: Global citizens stand up for Ukraine. Yeah.
3: Which is why he did the song, because he said he wouldn't.
2: He kind of wants to have it both ways. What he says on YouTube is, As a human and an artist, I felt compelled to respond in the most significant way I could. So today, for the first time ever, I publicly performed my dad's song, Imagine. Why now, after all these years? I had always said the only time I would ever consider singing Imagine would be if it was the end of the world. That's a little bit overdramatic. Well. It's a good thing that Julian is trying to do something.
3: Yeah. And I think his feeling about that is probably based in, if this is the beginning of World War III, then... (laughs) then the End of the World, that would not be an exaggeration.
2: Although it's still coming a little bit too close on the heels of uh, Gal Gadot and her uh, Hollywood We Are the World-style version of Imagine. I mean, that was only year, year and a half ago. Yeah. It's a good version. There's an acoustic guitar, which replaces the piano.
3: Right. Is that his longtime friend, Justin?
2: No, that's not. Uh, Nuno Betancourt, that is the guitar player. Nuno Betancourt has a song called More Than Words. Which was a very big pop song, and it broke it open for him and his band Extreme.
3: It's a good guitar part. He does a, a good harmony, and I think the approach is more anthem-like than the original version. Slower.
2: The video is nice. It's just the two of them sitting in a darkened room with candles everywhere, and the camera sort of goes around them. Uh, and there is a piano in the room, although no one plays it.
3: <laughs> right, I like it
2: It's a good version, I don't know how necessary it is, but great You know, Julian wants to do something And yeah. this is as good as anything else, like you say my, my only complaint is that, well, Imagine has been a little bit overused in recent years It's not Julian's fault, but you, know, you got the Gal Gadot thing You got the weird slowed down version from the Olympics last year
3: Right, well it's you know important in telling that that song has become universal, surprisingly so because, you know, there are people who could take offense to any number of the lines in that song, but it has become a worldwide anthem. And so it would be hard to consider, well, I'm not going to do it because someone did it last year or the year before or the year before, because it's just going to be done.
2: Yeah, although maybe he could have done Give Peace a Chance, or maybe he could have done a medley with Imagine and Give Peace a Chance, done something a little bit different again i'm not saying oh this is horrible this is awful it's just it might have been nice to be taken it a slightly different way
3: okay i'll go along with that
2: and we must remember that as recently as post 9-11 the company which owned 80 percent of the rock stations across the u.s after 2001 sent out a memo listing songs that they suggested these stations not play and well imagine was on it
3: weird but okay you know, the idea that it's like, don't play this song. Well,
2: Going along with your sentiment that, you know, there are people who could conceivably be offended by the lyrics of Imagine.
3: For sure. And we discussed that with sometime in New York City, Box Set, that, that corporations are now looking at the product that they own and say, oh, not that. Which, in a lot of ways, removes the social impact of some music if... The people who ultimately own it decide what you can hear.
2: It's the combination of politics and government and the ruling class, as it were. The ones with the
3: money. We sure have gotten away from you know the time when the the disc jockey could decide what he was going to put on the air and could break records. And-
2: if it means no more uh, disco burning nights like there was in Detroit, maybe that's not necessarily completely a bad thing.
3: <laughs> yeah, perhaps that.
2: Not that people should ban what others hear, but well, I think a little constraint is not necessarily a bad thing all the time.
3: Yeah. I was thinking earlier when, when listening some to the Julian songs that when the Beatles arrived, certainly there were thousands and thousands of people who were vying to become a star. Singers, songwriters, and they would go through the pathways to become successful. But now there are millions, I mean, millions of people trying to produce music and they have at their fingertips
2: the ability to record things.
3: And in ways that George Barton would have dreamed of. So it's a different world as far as do you need a label?
2: Well, one only need look at Justin Bieber. I mean Right. Conversely, you look at something like BTS, that is entirely brought to the public through a large multinational conglomerate. Right. K pop is only a big thing because, well, the company said we can sell this. Right. The second thing that which came up this week, which has to do with something we've talked about recently, there there is apparently a new John Lennon biopic in the works.
3: Yes, and from basically the same people who brought you Bohemian Rhapsody and uh, Rocket Man,
2: Anthony McCartan, who is the uh, fellow who actually wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, has written the screenplay, and it's apparently done. The movie will be produced by Yoko, although you know again produced in quotes. Sean and Julian are both apparently on board, as are the Beatles, i.e. Apple, as an organization.
3: Right. They've apparently given permission to use whatever music the production requires.
2: What's noted in this article is five key Lennon songs and any Beatles songs they desire to use. So in that case, it sounds like they're kind of going the the Lennon naked route as in using the Beatles and actual Lennon music rather than doing sound likes or doing something completely different with the soundtrack.
3: Right. There won't be faux covers.
2: And then there's a weird bit in there where they say May Pang will get her due.
3: And be celebrated.
2: (laughs) What is there to celebrate about May Pang? She was John's girlfriend for a while. Uh...
3: Well, I I think the artist said that she saved his life. That's the perspective that they're taking is that her being there and shepherding, so to speak, John during a fractious time in his life.
2: We don't know what they're going to do with it. It just seems a little bit odd to me, particularly as someone who, while I believe a fair bit of loving John, I think it is clearly colored by Mae Pang's continued feelings for John Lennon. Right. She's still in love with him. She was and probably st- is still in love with. I don't know if you've ever read Loving John. I have. She doesn't like Yoko. <laughs> she makes no bones about that. But Yeah, but uh,
3: when was that book written? <laughs> It's 40 years later. Yeah, this is. Basically, you know, and they're both old people.
2: Much, much older. And she also contributed to Goldman's book, To the Lives of John Lennon. And she has not shied away from expressing very tabloidy versions of John Lennon.
3: Well, are you saying that her accounts are all suspect?
2: I, I'm I'm not saying that she's lying. Uh, well, I'm just saying that I don't necessarily believe everything she has to say. As a for example, we all pretty much believe that, okay, maybe John did heroin once during the time that he was a house husband. Yoko did have a period where she will admit that she w- she went back on the stuff during the late 70s, but John has said that he did it once during one of those nights overboard. But May Pang will say, oh yeah, no, John was a junkie again. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all.
3: Well, you know, I think that's a, a tough time to pin down because there are a few people who experienced it. And, you know, for five years, basically, he was at the Dakota or he wasn't just at the Dakota, he was doing stuff, but he was doing stuff. It's yeah. not really well documented as what his life was.
2: I believe Fred more than I believe May Pang's account of those interim years. I mean, you know, she also makes the claim that she and John had an ongoing affair during the house husband years. It's like, well, you know, maybe once or twice, but I don't see that John ever had the time to come and visit with you as often as you're claiming he did.
3: Well, all you can do is assess it for yourself because I don't really know what went on and and, None can't, of us do. and can't pretend so, you know.
2: There's nothing that we can track down. It's just there's a lot which contradicts her version of what was going on then. And you know, and she also is willing to admit when she absolutely does not have an opinion. I mean, you know, there's there's the ongoing story that they scheduled Sean's C-section and you know she says no I don't believe that and I don't know anything about that right that's enough of the tabloids (laughs) right I don't know if I'm looking forward to it but whenever it gets made and we uh, go out and see it we'll certainly be doing a review of of that Lennon biopic
3: at the very least I'll watch the trailer and and...
2: (laughs) okay we may have to wait till it hits HBO Max or something
3: (laughs) You don't think they'll put it on Disney?
2: It depends on how far they go into uh, telling the tabloid version of the story.
3: Well, I don't see that you could really take on John Lennon's life and make it clean as far as all that. How do you ignore Two Virgins cover, and the controversy it caused.
2: As we were saying with Christopher Eccleston, you're going to do John Lennon's life, you have to do nudity. Although the one thing about this film, as we were discussing, it does give the current Doctor Who a chance to play something in a Beatles biopic. (laughs) Cynthia Lennon, maybe? (laughs) Right. It's current enough that she may look a little old, but again, 46-year-old Chris Eccleston, they can just slap a wig on her and make her Cynthia. (laughs)
3: They could do wonders with makeup these
2: days. (laughs) If they have the money, they could always de-age her a little bit.
3: Or deep fake the whole thing.
2: That would be interesting. So, Our main topic for this week, can you believe it is 24 years since we lost uh, Linda McCartney? It just doesn't seem like nearly that long to me.
3: Yeah, although there's been Heather and Nancy since. So there is a distance that I'm aware of. But I think that over the years, Paul has done a beautiful job at honoring his wife.
2: Honoring and preserving the memory of Linda. I mean, even through this year or the past two years, there was that Polaroids book, and that was really nice. Right. And then he had the display that went out uh, in London and in Liverpool of the unseen Linda photos.
4: This is the Linda McCartney retrospective exhibition so the family obviously really heavily involved in in curating this as well so so Paul has had a lot of say in terms of what photographs are being being used
1: Uh, That's correct, so Paul McCartney and Mary McCartney have both been really involved in the exhibition, they've actually selected the photographs that are here on display and have been really involved in in the design and and how we're showing it here at the Walker's so we're really delighted to have had that involvement with the McCarty family in the exhibition
2: on april the 17th of 1998 we lost linda yes that story's out there you know uh, linda died in arizona and the story of paul and talking to her about the stallions and all that you know right it's sad but you know s- such is life i guess
3: and death a few weeks ago we were talking about parents the grave sites of paul's mother And he's really done a beautiful job honoring her and her children as well are just great examples of what a great mother she was, a teacher to these people.
2: Paul being the way Paul is, he did decide to kind of take a little bit of a break to mourn, but he also dived right into a project of putting together Linda's music for an album. Yes, yes. Late 1998, he put out Wide Prairie, and, and we did in fact just get a uh, reissued version of that on 108 gram vinyl, uh, I guess last year, was it the year before on Record Store Day, recently. Right. And so I'm glad they included that with the other bits and pieces of the McCartney uh, collection vinyl editions, especially since that disc was actually, it was put out on vinyl when it originally came out, but it was in fairly limited numbers.
3: I like At the end of vinyl or at the beginning of the rebirth?
2: It was at the end of vinyl. The rebirth didn't really happen until, oh, maybe 2010 was kind of the start of the rebirth of vinyl.
3: I still have so much for the first time around. I never paid any attention when it came back.
2: But nonetheless, Paul had kind of taken a break. And, you know, he was doing that project, but he was also out of the public eye, more or less, other than promoting Wide Prairie. And there was some question about when would Paul actually, you know, come back to the stage or, or even start recording. And so what we're going to talk about today is a show, which was at the Royal Albert Hall, which has kind of been forgotten just a little bit.
3: Well, it didn't produce much. I mean, it was, it was a show.
2: Well, it was a show and they did release it on video. It was aired on the BBC and it was also aired on radio in England. We didn't get much of it here. Yeah. It wasn't a big thing, but it also has been on YouTube for 10 years. You know, we we like to dissect every little thing that's happened, and this one is kind of, oh, okay, yeah, there was this thing. But it's actually a pretty important show.
3: There are a lot of things that McCartney was doing, not necessarily exactly at that time, but in the public perception of albums and his, his classical stuff. It all kind of...
2: Jumbles together. It does. But if you look at the timeline, most people will sort of go right from Flaming Pie to Linda's passing to Run Devil Run. Right. They sort of skip over this whole period.
3: I didn't really pay that much attention to this at the time. For me, it was Run Devil Run that was, in effect, a tribute to Linda.
2: But Run Devil Run only exists because of Paul thinking about and actually... Uh, deciding on what he wanted to do in this show. Right. But that's at the end of this concert. We're going to talk at least generally about the show. It was put together by Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, who was at least during the latter, let's say quarter of Linda's life, a good friend of them, kind of after they came off the road with wings.
4: A sad, very sad time for all of us, you know, when Linda died. But just to talk to Paul about, you know, I thought the world deserved to know It did inspire
0: me a lot the way they were with their kids.
2: Linda had hooked up with Chrissy Hind because they were both
3: animal activists, staunch vegetarians. But it did coincide with the height of Chrissy's career with The Pretenders. It wasn't late after that.
2: They were friends, and then they also brought Carla Lane into it. Carla Lane, who is a British female comedian.
3: Television writer.
2: And she had her own television show at that time.
3: She she had several successful shows. From Liverpool.
1: Carla Lane actually today said that she hasn't seen Paul McCartney so down ever. He's totally devastated by the news, and she really does hope that he will be able to move on. Obviously, he's had a lot of support from his four children and uh, close friends, particularly people like Carla Lane. So maybe this will be the cathartic experience that he he actually needs to move on and to get back into music, which I think will uh, help him enormously get back into writing and into composing.
2: And on Wide Prairie, there's a song called, what, Cow, I believe, which was co-written by the two of them. Oh, the other thing about Chrissy Hind is that some of Linda's last photographs, last professional photographs of Chrissy Hind and were used on the cover of a Pretenders album.
3: Very cool. A lot of people forget that Linda had been taking pictures of rock stars since the mid-60s. Very good at it.
2: You don't get this out of this concert. You know, you would think that they would find a way to to bring up some of these pictures and pay a little bit more tribute to Linda's photography. And, well, they really don't.
3: Right. Well, there are several things that were missed. One being, being the fact that Paul put out this album... There was none of her music.
2: Yeah, and they don't
3: even mention The Wide Prairie anywhere during the show. Or any song. I mean, Cook of the House was the first one that popped up to, in, in my consciousness, but I think she'd done uh, Seaside Woman by that time, and none of that stuff was in the concert.
2: What they seem to have told people is, well, pick a Paul Beatles song and then play one of your own hits.
3: yes. That seems to be the pattern.
2: <laughs> Except for Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello is the only one who hits the tone exactly right to in my eyes. You know, he gives a beautiful speech about how Linda helped him get over his nerves. You know, how it was a challenge to, to come in and write songs with your hero. Right. And that Linda you know, sat them down and said, you know, he's just a guy and here's what Paul likes. and you know, it calmed him down and you know that's how they got started to get collaborating at least according to elvis costello
3: right and and he mentions how warm she was to his family you know she made them welcome but he always kind of hits the right tone for me so i'm not really surprised he chose some great music and has a different history with paul than anyone else there
2: mary and faithful she has a history with paul and uh, although it's interesting during the show and on the radio broadcast, she actually talks about how she didn't really know Linda all that well. Right. right. So it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Let's run through the track list here. Or this is the TV version of the track list. As mentioned, there were several songs which were played, which did not appear on either the radio or TV version. Some appeared only on the TV version and some appeared only on the radio version. Right. The TV version is still out there. It was released legitimately on DVD, but, I mean, it's long since out of print. So, first off, you know, it starts with with Chrissy and the Pretenders. They start the show with, with Message of Love. Okay, you know, it's nice, and she can say nice things about Linda, although, other than it may have been a song that Linda said she liked once, does that have much to do with Linda? That's a great opener.
4: <laughs> Hi, welcome uh, to this gig. Uh, it's the... Uh... One of
1: the longest named titles, uh, Hear then, Everywhere, uh, a concert for Linda McCartney. Well, or a concert for Linda, just stop there. It's got to be upbeat, it's got to be great, it's got to be a celebration of life!
2: <laughs> so we need to be totally irreverent tonight and just go for it, alright? So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome on the stage to open the gate tonight, The Pretenders!
4: to be here tonight for linda with
0: our message of
3: love now the reason you're here and i just thought cool way to open up that concert
2: I, I don't think it's a bad way to open up the concert. I just think it doesn't have anything much to do with Linda.
3: Well. Uh, Other
2: than, you know, she, she was a great woman. And she had a message of love. It's like, okay. Well.
3: <laughs> well all right. And, and she was a friend of Linda's. So maybe maybe it was a, a favorite song. Maybe not.
2: I'm not saying it wasn't. I just kind of <laughs> wish that if it was, you know, maybe she could have said something about it.
3: <laughs> maybe she could have written a new tune.
2: <laughs> uh, then the, the MC for the evening is Eddie Izzard. I mean, we kind of know who Eddie Izzard is in this country. He's much bigger overseas, yeah. but as far as they know, he didn't know Linda. He's just who they bought on to be the MC for the evening.
3: Again, he was a hot guy at the moment when this concert took place and looking for an MC.
2: Although he clearly sounds a bit uncomfortable during some of his introductions here.
3: <laughs> right.
2: He has jokes like, well, you know, the, the money from this show is going to an animal rights charity. I'm sure there's some bunny rabbit who's out there saying, thank you, Mrs. McCartney. It's like, uh, okay, Eddie. <laughs> you can say that. I don't know if that's quite the right tone to take any tribute to the woman, but...
3: <laughs> yeah i've been a fan of eddie Izzard for a long time so
2: although is it isn't he like uh, mostly uh playing as a woman now it does it hasn't he, he, he isn't he either transgender or yeah he,
3: he's always been that i mean that's that's what
2: he makes a comment but i think he actually spends more time as a woman now than he did uh... well i think
3: that's true but it's been part of his act to some degree
2: well and they and in fact they mentioned it here a couple times
3: It wasn't a secret. It's one of those weird societal things that kind of fascinate me about England is that homosexuality and the whole thing with different kinds of sexual behavior was illegal in Britain up until about 67 or 68. And now in Britain, it's so accepted. I think more so there than here.
2: Eddie Izzard's cross-dressing sort of comes out of the Python cross-dressing except Izzard takes it more seriously.
3: Yeah.
2: He actually does it. John Cleese does not go walking around in a dress.
3: (laughs) That we know of.
2: (laughs) That we know of. Okay, so after Eddie Izzard we get Lyndon David Hall. Do you know who
3: I have no idea. (laughs) No. He's got a
2: great voice.
4: An exceptional voice and a fantastic talent. We're so glad to have him. Lyndon David Hall
2: tv show but on the radio version he did here there and everywhere it's the name of the show people you're gonna cut that from the set
3: <laughs> yeah well i don't know what the whole business structure is clearly this was put together by somebody who puts these things together I'm sure mccartney had approval authority or whatever but probably had nothing really much to do with this
2: he certainly did not i mean you know it was organized and arranged by chrissy hind and carla and then it was aired on bbc radio and then it was just edited and put on tv a week later
3: right but all that has has to be covered by contracts so i don't know what the business arrangement of all this was and so the cut of the uh, broadcast thing was probably in nobody's hands that
2: that was tied to the music right so Lynn and david hall gets three songs the second song abraham martin and john it's like that's an old standard to play at celebrations but again is it a linda song
3: <laughs> well i don't think it's specifically for her it's a, a weird choice to me it's like looking for something to sing rather than needing to sing that particular song.
2: And then the third song he played, which actually does make some sense, he he does a cover of Foxy Lady, uh, Jimmy being one of Linda's close friends and, well, to be frank, one of her lovers during uh, the pre-Paul era.
3: Hey, there's that tabloid stuff again.
2: But Linda admits that. (laughs) You know, Linda writes about it.
3: Well, it was the 60s, you know.
2: (laughs) Well, exactly. Free love, does that count as tabloid? Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
3: For those who haven't heard it yet
2: <laughs> okay then that's followed by another act who i don't remember someone named desiree great voice though it's a beautiful cover blackbird
3: These guys are obviously British celebrities of some sort, and they're good entertainers.
4: You've probably
0: heard Desiree's most popular song.
3: The English entertainer experienced international success with her anthem of affirmations entitled, You Gotta Be
2: they're very definitely professionals and they like i they're, say they're good performers uh, then that, that's followed by someone that we do have some idea of lady smith black mambazo yeah the african harmony group
3: right made famous for uh, paul Simon's graceland but they also put out a an album around that same time of oh, fantastic
2: Again, their choice of song is a little bit weird. It's an African cover of Amazing Grace.
3: Well, Amazing Grace being definitely a piece of music that gets played at Memorial Services.
2: That's what I'm saying. It's kind of not Linda-specific, at least largely through this first half of the show. Right. You know, you've got a couple of Paul covers, but even Blackbird and Here, There, and Everywhere, I guess Here, There, and Everywhere is the most Linda of these tunes so far. And then maybe Foxy Lady. Right. Then we get Sinead O'Connor looking very good in a in a red dress. Not that that's the only thing that should be observed, but she is looking good.
3: And she sounds just like Sinead.
2: She does her hit, I Believe in You. And it's here on the TV version that they kind of switch around the order a little bit. George Michael was actually on at the end of the show after Elvis Costello. And they bump him up here for pace or for scheduling or... Just because they thought it fit better here in the middle of the show.
3: Well, you know, as you're watching it, they may be thinking, we need some A-listers here because it's flagging.
2: We just said Ladysmith Black Bazo but I mean, you know, I guess, yeah, sure. I get you.
3: Well, it's, you know.
2: <laughs> the Pretenders qualify as A-listers.
3: For sure. And Sinead might, to some might, degree. Might,
2: yeah. They bring George Michael on. Uh, he does a great version of Long and Winding Road. I like it a whole, whole lot. Many
0: times I've been alone And many times I've cried Anyway, you'll never know The many ways I've tried But still
3: Don't Let the Sun Go Down on the Long and Winding Road.
2: (laughs) Then he did a second cover, which didn't work out quite as well. It's on the radio version. Eleanor Rigby. It's like, okay. They were right. If they're only going to include one of the McCartney songs, The Long and Winding Road was definitely the one of the two that they should include. Then he gets to do his song, Faith.
3: Interesting choice, yeah.
2: I mean, it kind of fits. He also gives a little speech. He also says, well, I didn't really know Linda, but I'm up here because, well, my mom also died of breast cancer. And so this is dedicated to everyone who went through that.
3: (laughs) And Chrissy and Carla are backstage rolling their eyes. Oh, God, no.
2: (laughs) Where it was placed in the actual show coming between Elvis Costello and mccartney's big unveiling that might have been a little bit better here it's just okay here's more people who didn't really know linda yeah <laughs> then we move on to neil finn although again because they had rearranged this neil finn actually came on and did the song with Sinead o'connor so the way it is on tv it looks like she left and kind of came back
3: on she goes on
2: she goes on was Immediately after, I Believe in You. I see. So Sinead introduced Neil Finn. Neil Finn comes on and they play this song.
3: Love Neil Finn. I'll watch him anywhere.
2: Then he he gets his hit, Don't Dream It's Over.
3: Right. His hit. Uh, He has like a whole bunch. (laughs) He's a great songwriter. And I mean, that was his biggest hit for sure.
2: Then we get to Heather Small, another artist who I don't know. I think she's more an R&B artist. Yeah. On the radio she got moving on up. No, not the Jefferson's theme. Her record at the time. Ah. And then on TV she gets a cover of
3: What a Wonderful World, the old Louis Armstrong number.
2: Then on on the TV version, now this has to be something that was organized by Chrissy Johnny Marr comes on and does Meat is Murder. It's the most up tempo song we've had so far. You know, I guess it belongs because of Linda and the vegetarianism, but it doesn't really fit the show.
3: For what style?
2: As far as style, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all been fairly mid tempo, a kind of not hard rocking yet. And then Johnny Marr comes on and, and does Meat is Murder, and it's also a little bit. Explicit, I would think, for the early evening audience.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, it is the statement.
2: But they cut it from the radio version. Right, well... And Linda had kind of learned the lesson of being too militant about the vegetarianism. People gave her a lot of flack about the PETA film before the 89 tour. And, you know, Meat is Murder is kind of that same vibe.
3: Well... Yeah, but, I mean, you just said it. The fact that she wanted it before the tour, and it was the pushback. She wants that stuff. Why couldn't she get it when you're dead?
2: Linda and I, well, all conversations always
4: led back to animal rights, and, you know, she was as nuts as I am about it.
2: Well, fair enough. Although, it's then turned over to a little bit of schlock. We get Tom Jones.
3: (laughs) Why, Delilah? Tom Jones singing, She's a woman.
2: In that Tom Jones style. Yeah. <laughs> She's a woman who understands. She's the woman who
3: loves Yeah. <laughs> it's everything you expect.
2: Under any other circumstances, Paul probably would have been rolling his eyes. <laughs> oh, why are you doing this, Tom? Right. And then one which was cut from TV, but appears on the radio a cover of uh, When a Man Loves a Woman. It fits Tom Jones in his style.
3: Really fits his voice. When a
0: man loves a woman Can't keep his mind on nothing
2: else Instead of that, they used Green, Green Grass of Home on TV, which kind of, again, piles on the schlock a little bit.
3: Right, but that was a big hit of his. So
2: It's another one of those... Oh, she's dead. (laughs) We're going to sing sad songs.
3: Right. But it was his hit. It was was a big hit.
2: Okay. Then we get Marion Faithful and Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr comes back, and he did actually leave and come back, unlike Sinead O'Connor. They perform a a nice version of As Tears Go By, although Marion Faithful's voice, even at that time, was not quite in the best of shape. Yeah. But it was still nice, and... That's kind of where she said that she knew Paul and she was old friends with Paul, I mean, obviously. But that she didn't know Linda, it's, that's a little bit surprising to me. You know, I thought that they would have hung out a little bit.
3: Her miscarriage was right around the time that Yoko had hers in 68. So she wasn't really around by the end of 68 and and pregnant mid-68.
2: Between the pregnancy and the miscarriage... From the time that Linda showed up to live with Paul.
3: Yeah, it would have been all over, basically. It
2: would have been, yeah. It, it, there, there wouldn't have been much of a chance for them to have interacted. And then, well, the next year was busy, shall we say.
3: Yeah. So, you know, it's possible that they never met.
2: Well, she didn't say they never met. She just said that they that they didn't really know each other. Right. So I'm sure they would have crossed each other's paths at some point. Especially since we know that Paul and Mary and Faithful have run into each other through the years. Yeah. A dinner, a celebration of some sort, or, you know, an award show. You know, yeah, they probably did meet, but I can see her saying that she didn't really know that much about her other than her public image.
3: Does Paul like Marianne Faithful?
2: I don't know. I've read some quotes about Paul talking about her music. Personally, I don't know.
3: Well, she went through a pretty bad junkie phase, and I'm not sure that Paul would have suffered that. But I'm just speculating because I don't really know.
2: More tabloid stuff.
3: More, <laughs> Yes.
2: <laughs> the TV version uh, uh, moves on with uh, Chrissy Hine coming back for uh, I Wish You Love. Right. Good enough. Fine. Great. Then the TV version comes close to closing. The next to the last act, the penultimate act, is Elvis Costello.
3: Right. Who, as we said before, has a unique relationship with Paul so even though they kind of cut George Michael's position it fits Elvis and Paul Elvis does the song that they wrote together that day is done
2: so on the TV version they start with that day is done the worst cut that they made Elvis did warm and beautiful
4: well we're gonna do a song now it's one of the most beautiful songs that Paul ever wrote for Linda And I wasn't familiar with it myself that much until very recently. But my friend Michael Thomas, who I work with with the Brodsky Quartet, has written as a beautiful arrangement. And we'd like to do it for you now. This is called Warm and Beautiful.
2: They have Warm and Beautiful, and they don't have That Day Is Done. It's just an, a great version of Warm and Beautiful. And Elvis talks about how he was unaware of the song really until he was looking for things to play, and then he heard it and that he felt that it was just a perfect summation of Paul and Linda and their relationship.
3: Beautiful song. It's actually my favorite on Wings at the Speed of Sound.
2: It's a great cover, too. It fits Elvis's voice just right in the pocket.
3: The other song, That Day Is Done, is one that-
2: They'd co-written and it was on flowers in the dirt.
3: And it's about death, being buried, end of your life. It's the perfect song.
2: Although it is gender reversed because it is the husband who's being buried in That Day Is Done.
3: Right, message is same.
2: And then in between the two, he does Peace, Love and Understanding. He, he, he has a really nice introduction that I'm sure Paul and, well, Linda would have appreciated.
4: I'm going to do a song now. Uh, it's written by a good old friend of mine and a good old friend of Paul and Linda's, Mr. Nick Lowe. He wrote this song and uh, he had his tongue in his cheek when he wrote it. I know that. And as I uh, say, time has gone on. I've sung it for years and years and it seems like it's getting truer and truer as time goes on. And uh, I suppose uh, today we might uh, dedicate it to all the warmongers and politicians and generals in the world who are. Uh, Prepared to kill, but an upper head to die.
2: You know, things haven't changed much in 23 years, have they?
4: Things never change. <laughs>
2: and again, it's up tempo. It's a really nice version of "Peace, Love, and Understanding." I, I love that song. Who doesn't love that song?
3: Yeah, it's one of those universal songs.
2: It's also a great way to bring the spirit up because we must remember that up until the day of the show. They weren't really sure whether Paul would be coming on or not. And he did. He was kind of waffling back and forth with Chrissy Hine. It's like, well, no, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't do it. And then she finally convinced him, well, give us some songs that we can learn. So if you do come up, we can play them.
3: (laughs) Right. Right. The way you described it just kind of reminded me, I just see Paul going, Maybe I will, maybe I won't. And, and he starts to walk off, and Chrissy brings the cape and puts it on his shoulder, and he goes, whoa! <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll do Lonesome
3: Town!
2: <laughs> this was really the origins of the uh, whole Run Devil Run project. They asked him for a song that really, he felt, summed up his relationship with Linda. And so rather than going... And starting out with one of his own songs, well, he, he went back to Ricky Nelson's catalog. Yeah. And he also gives a, a really great introduction to that.
1: This is a song which Linda and I used to listen to. Uh, well, I was in Liverpool. She was in New York. But we both listened to it in the 50s. It's by Ricky Nelson. It goes like this.
2: This is a song which Lynn and I used to listen to, but I was in Liverpool and she was in New York.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You automatically get a view of that conversation they had about what music they liked when growing up, you know, and Lonesome Town had to have been one of them.
2: Yeah. And he would expound on that story, you know, several times throughout his press for run devil run. But you know, this was really kind of where he said, okay, I'm ready to go back into the studio and what would be the best thing for me to do. And well, that's where the, the 50 songs idea came from. And, and that's really what put him into the mode of writing some material in that style.
3: Yeah, truly one of the best albums he ever put out. The cover songs are great, but the mindset he was in to write his originals on that it's, some great songs
2: and then you know both in the context of this show you know the lyrics to Lonesome Town it really puts out there what Paul was going through what that last year had kind of been like for him
3: yeah and for those who've never seen it this is slightly off kilter but look up the video for No Other Baby that's an amazing video you kind of want to see his mindset at that point
2: if he's going to pick one Beatles song to both close the show and to say everything he has to say, it's all my loving close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you.
3: Remember, I'll always be true.
2: And then the end of the show, which does not appear on either the radio or the TV version was apparently a, uh, a group sing-along of Let It Be, which I don't mind them sort of not showing that. We've heard of that enough <laughs> times in enough places.
3: That's almost become the song that you play in the pub. <laughs> okay, everybody, let it be.
2: <laughs> I will assume that it was actually played, but it's not on the TV version. It's not on the radio version, and I haven't even heard an audience recording of it. So, well,
3: So you're saying it could be a myth.
2: It could be a myth. Huh. But it's reported in enough places that, and they would have to end a show like this with the group sing along.
3: Well, I bet you everybody was singing along on "All My Loving."
2: <laughs> well, but not on the stage and with
3: microphones.
2: <laughs> and in fact, there are pictures of the uh, assembled troupe on stage, so that would have to be "Let It Be."
3: <laughs> okay, but it could be tabloid. <laughs>
2: So that's here there and everywhere the constant for Linda. The show itself was 1999, so it was 23 years ago from the time we're recording this.
3: An illustration of how you know your memory skips. It was only uh, looking at this that I realized that George died after Linda. Mhm. And for some reason I in my head he died first.
2: Yeah, it's just Weird the way that our memories kind of work like that. Yeah. It's a good show. There's a lot of great performances of a lot of great songs, but it's kind of only about a quarter of a tribute to Linda McCartney. Fair enough. You know, maybe half of it could just about be awake, you know, a celebration for anybody's life, just about. And then there's a quarter which just sort of have nothing to do with uh, either Linda or death or the celebration of life other than well all music has to do with the celebration of life
3: well at least nobody came out and sang obla di obla (laughs) da
2: well i don't know there might have been some room for that you know missing you know certainly at least one linda song would have been nice
3: yeah that would have been a thoughtful touch
2: And then there aren't even really any Wings tunes in here. Couldn't somebody find a place for silly love songs? Are so bad. There's one which really would have fit in here.
3: I'm surprised that Chrissy wouldn't do Cook at the House. It's right in her kind of thing.
2: After that, Paul would go into the studio and hot off of this idea, he put together what he was going to do for Run, Devil, Run and actually recorded that. The period of mourning was over and he was back to his career.
3: Well, he's said it several times that, you know, it's become apparent that at times of stress is when you produce your best work. And he went on to say, but who wants to live life that way? But this clearly is an example of that, the, you know, Run Devil Run, uh, because I think, again, it's one of his best albums coming out of this. Now he followed it up with another great album.
2: Wasn't Driving Rain after Run, Devil, Run? Chaos was after Driving Rain.
3: Yeah.
2: There wasn't anything between Driving Rain and Run, Devil, Run.
3: That's true.
2: So, strike that.
3: Well, there was this great work, and this next work was, <laughs> was shite. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then probably one of his best, if not his best, post-Linda solo album was after that. Chaos is a really great record. But we've had this discussion, haven't we? We have, we have. Fairly recently, but uh, if you're going to say that, you know, Driving Rain is not really the post-Linda album, it's the Here's Heather Mills album. Yeah. And Chaos, and we know that some of the Chaos songs were written before Driving Rain, so maybe that's kind of the separation from Heather Mills and the Linda... Feelings coming back to the surface could be we're not playing amateur Psychologists here.
3: (laughs) or Apparently we are. If you can see this concert do so.
2: Well, it's on YouTube. Again, the TV version is on YouTube. The radio version is out there, but you have to search for it a little bit harder. They snipped a lot of the better cut bits from the TV show onto YouTube. You can find the here, there and everywhere. And you can find Elvis Costello's Warm and Beautiful on YouTube. So I would say if you watch the entire 90-minute BBC TV version, which is on YouTube, plus those two songs, you get all the highlights of this show. Except for The Missing Let It Be. Right. This concert was, was 1999, so it was 23 years ago The of the date we're recording this. 23 years and a week as of the date you guys will be
3: getting this. Linda McCartney was born in New York City on September 24, 1941. Cancer spread to her liver, and she died on April 17, 1998 at the age of 56. She left all her possessions, including her photographs, to her husband Paul.
2: It's a shame. Uh, you know, we always wanted Paul and Linda to be together and grow old together and it didn't happen, but you know, that's life, and Paul seems to have recovered quite nicely with Nancy a subsequent marriage for both of them. And they seem happy together. It's, it's a little hard to believe that they've been together for coming up on 20 years here. Yeah. Next week, we, we're not sure what we're doing, but are we ever?
3: <laughs> Even while we're doing it.
2: All right. Thanks everybody. Talk to you then. Take care. Subscribe to when they was fab on iTunes, pod Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we can be reached at Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
1: smiles and tears at the Royal Albert Hall as Paul McCartney brings to a close this very special concert here on Radio 2. It was produced by Live Music Entertainment. I'm Johnny Walker and join us at the same time next week. Free. i tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals they got no bread to do it on not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but this they're, they're scraping the barrel
0: for funds to keep going